This week's episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by cold spaghetti or mashed bananas. I was a teenage film snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighborhood film snob. And uh, I am an absolute liar. Uh, I think the last time I did this, I said I wouldn't really be doing too many more solo shows. But guess what, guys? This week it is a solo show. Um, but I actually am starting to really kind of like doing the solo shows, you know. Um, previously, I kind of did them out of necessity. I just wanted to keep producing content, making sure there's something coming out, keep the show um, relevant and make sure that there's you know, something new for you to listen to every week. But um, I like the the intimacy of it. I like the immediacy immediacy of it, um, where I can just kind of sit down and talk, uh, and not not for as long as a regular show, like for half an hour, forty minutes, but just kind of churn out my thoughts and stuff like that. Um, I, I kind of like it. I don't have to wait for someone to see a movie. I can just kind of give my initial reactions, uh, and that's what I think I might do more of. Like I'm not saying it'll happen all the time, um, and I would like to stick closely to the um, the plan of doing you know all the two thousands interviews with all, all the guests and stuff like that but if i see a bunch of stuff i want to talk about sometimes i don't want to just put it out on instagram and like just say hey i watched this five stars that kind of thing i'd like to kind of talk about the nuance of it and the things i really liked and kind of hip you to some cool things about it and if no one else has seen it i have to wait until they have seen it or just never talk about it so i do like the solo shows as well um it's basically the audio equivalent of having a twitter account so instead of you know putting out my thoughts on a twitter account i just talk to myself uh on the podcast and that's totally fine so if you're hoping for a guest i do apologize next week is our two-year anniversary show and it's it's great um i can tell you right now maddie hosted it so as with the one-year anniversary where tina hosted this year someone else hosting again um and she put together a killer show so that'll be next week that'll be an awesome show in the meantime this week i'm just going to talk about a few movies i've seen recently three really good ones three movies that all came out in 2023 and i didn't get a chance to see before i put my list out but honestly I would say every single one of them would have been in my top 10, um, which would have made a very different kind of list, which is interesting. Um, so the three movies I'm going to talk about tonight, not in too much detail, but just kind of share my thoughts, share some kind of interesting things about them. Uh, the first one would be Poor Things, which I saw a couple of weeks back, right after I'd released my top 10 list. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, damn it, this would definitely be in the top 10. Uh, it was very close. might have been my number one movie. It was very, very good. So I'll talk about Poor Things. I'm going to talk about Hot Potato, the Wiggles documentary. That one's fantastic as well. Watch that on Amazon Prime this week. Uh, and then the last one I'll talk about is Bottoms, which is also on Amazon Prime and um, was was wonderful. I've already kind of posted about all of them through my stories or whatever, but I'll talk about them in a bit more detail. So if this kind of episode is not your thing... Um, it's just going to be more of the same from now until the end, so you may want to tune out. But hopefully, you want to stick around, if anything, just to hear a little bit of a little bit about these movies, um, because I haven't seen a lot of people talking about any of them. If I'm being honest, I think a lot of people have kind of missed these ones. Um, not in the US for sure. Like Bottoms, I think was quite big in in the US, but um, Hot Potato came out like six months ago. I haven't really heard anyone talking about it. Uh, and Poor Things, obviously, getting some Oscar buzz, but in the day to day, I haven't heard people talk about them either. Um, so we'll go through them one by one. As I said, not too much. Um, I'm not going to do like the entire plot like I've done in the past, like I did with Godzilla and stuff like that. Um, but I'll do just like, like a bit of a chit chat about each one and then we'll get out of here. And then next week, as I mentioned, the two year anniversary show, which is awesome. Um, 
All right, so let's start with Poor Things. Now, Poor Things is um, the new Yorgo, uh, Yorgo Lanthimos film. I got corrected by Emma Stone. Um, I saw a video of her online where she called him Yorgo, not Yorgos, because the, the S is silent. So now that I know that, I'm going to try and make sure I pronounce better. Um, but it's his latest film. I've been a huge fan of Yorgo um, for quite a while. Um, I think the first thing of his I ever saw was Dogtooth, which is a brilliant film. He's a great director, and I think it's his only film, his most major film, that's in Greek language, um, and it's excellent. It's really, really good. Um, he also did Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, he did The Favourite, uh, which is obviously uh, critically renowned, and people love that one quite a bit. Probably his most accessible of all of his films, because he does tend to make very strange unusual movies. He also did The Lobster, actually, now that I think about it. Um, so he does make very unusual movies. And Poor Things is uh, is no exception. In fact, I think Poor Things actually goes back in the other direction. The favourite was his most accessible. And after seeing that, I was like, oh, I guess he's going for more kind of palatable, more mainstream stuff. Not that the favourite is mainstream, but definitely of all his films. I've had a breath. I had to run and get the dogs in, sorry. Uh, I was like, oh, I guess he's going in that direction. And then I saw Poor Things. I was like, nope, this might be his weirdest movie. So I do like that even though um, he's kind of broken the mainstream and broken the American um, box office, He's still going um, going weird, which is great. Um, so Poor Things is very much like a Frankenstein story, which I really like. Sorry, I'm really puffed out. Um, basically, Willem Dafoe uh, plays this like, kind of mad scientist. Um, he's a doctor who, when he was a boy, his father like experimented on him time and time again because for the for the betterment of science, basically. And um, the prosthetics are really good. The makeup and uh, and hair and stuff in Poor Things is excellent, really, really good. Um, so when the movie starts, we're basically introduced to him and this young student of medicine who kind of befriends him. And uh, it's in, like, the first three minutes that he introduces us to the Emma Stone character. And she's, well, I guess the, uh, the most PC way to say it is she's quite simple. Um, and it's kind of, you don't know what it, what's going on for a good chunk of the movie. I'd say almost a third of the movie, you don't really know what's going on um, with her. You can tell that she's not quite all there. And they make a comment, a very un-PC comment about her being simple and saying she's not quite developed. And she might even have like a, a learning difficulty. Because um, in the yeah, in the first third of the film, like she's running around like a child, like she's peeing on the floor, she's like having a food fight, she's discovering her body like and playing with it like a child would. Um, and then the penny drops, like again, about a third of the way through the film. So I'm going to spoil that right now. So if you haven't seen Poor Things, pause this, go see Poor Things come back, unless you don't really care. But I'm going to spoil it for you right now. Three, two, one. So basically we see a flashback and Willem Dafoe discovered the body of a woman who committed suicide. Emma Stone's character played a woman who jumped off a bridge and um, her body was dead, but she was pregnant and the baby inside was still alive. So what Willem Dafoe did, or his character did, I should say, was he did a brain transplant. He took the baby's brain out of the infant body and put it into the body of an adult woman to see like, well, first of all, to keep it alive, but also to see what would happen and how you know, being in an adult body with the baby's brain, would that accelerate learning? Would that kind of change the way that the human develops? Um, and I remember seeing that and like, I've got a young child. I was like, well, that's the weirdest thing I've seen in a movie maybe ever. Um, <laughs> I hope this is the weirdest it gets. And uh, and it didn't, but I was glad that it, it did get weirder. I think in my initial review on Instagram, I said that it thematically or at least tonally, it's doing everything that 
Bo is Afraid was trying to do. And that's not to dismiss Bo is Afraid. I think Bo is Afraid is an excellent film. I really liked it. But this one, I think, just executes it better. Um, but, yeah, so Emma Stone is this – she starts off, I think, she's about like a two-year-old in a woman's body. And then over the course of the film, she kind of matures and gets older. And then by the end of the film, she's kind of got the the intellect and kind of um, – creativity and imagination of a, of a teenager, maybe someone in the early 20s. So it is a coming-of-age story, just a very weird coming-of-age story. Um, so then this doctor, or like this doctor in training, kind of um, falls in love with her and decides he wants to marry her, and Willem Dafoe's like, she'll need a partner. She'll need someone to take care of her um, because she is still young. So she'll need – and again, it's it's very weird because it does. It's the brilliance of this movie is that it makes you forget that it's a baby – until you do remember, you're like, because you're like, oh, this is beautiful and wonderful and so like bold, and oh my god, that's a baby. Like you keep forgetting and then remembering. Um, Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in it. He plays quite a villainous and pathetic character. He plays this guy who's, I think he's a lawyer, if I remember correctly, and he falls in love with Emma Stone straight away, and he doesn't know that she's a child. Um, he just kind of absconds with her, like steals her in the night away from her um, fiance just to have, like, a sexual escapade with her. Um, and, like, it, we kind of see her go through puberty emotionally and kind of discovering her body and discovering sex. And I've seen two different points of view on the film. A lot of people call the film very feminist because it's all about her kind of self-discovery, discovering her body and kind of this sexual empowerment and using sex how she would like. And others saying that it's misplaced Um feminism and in fact it's actually quite the opposite quite misogynistic now as a man it's very hard for me to weigh in on this without you know people being like well you're you're a guy so of course you think that but i actually do walk the line of feminism i think it's a very narrow line and it is tough to you know there are moments you're kind of like oh because there is a moment in the film again like i'm spoiling this film she does become a prostitute out of necessity and um and it does it, can feel a little bit exploitative until you kind of hear her talking about it, the character talking about it, and like the way she kind of navigates that world and everything. And then you kind of like, no, she's doing it for her. Like she is doing it for her. Like she is, she's not always enjoying, you know, being a prostitute, but she's kind of like, well, I have a goal. I don't have any skills because I'm a child in an adult's body. By this time, I think she is basically an adult, but it is weird. Um, She's like, I don't have really any skills because I grew up in this house isolated all the time and then some guy stole me away to Portugal. I don't really have any kind of skills or anything, but I do have a body and I happen to really like sex, so I'm going to use that to make money and to kind of make my way in the world. Um, but it is bizarre. Like the first the first thing, like this should have tipped me off that there was going to be some weird like brain transplant stuff, is that one of the first scenes in the film, one of the first shots is that in Willem Dafoe's house, he has a chicken with the head of a pug, um, which I just thought was really cool. I liked seeing all these half-breed animals. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like it is going to be confronting. If you're not – if you feel uneasy around sexual discussion in films, if you feel uneasy um, about a lot of nudity, if you feel uneasy about a lot of sex scenes, um, if what I've talked about already is kind of putting you off, then this ain't for you. But – if you like something a little bit weirder, if you like something a little bit kind of bold and bizarre and you want it to go down the rabbit hole, then it's a wonderful film. Um, I, I truly do believe that. Um, I know there's a lot of confronting stuff in there, but I think it's an expertly made film. 
I don't know whether it will win Best Picture. For me, it is the Best Picture of the, the nominees, but I do think it might be a little bit too weird and out there for the Academy. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I do think it is the best performance. I also think Emma Stone gives the best performance of the year, um, followed very closely by uh, Lily Gladstone. So if either of them won, I'd be I'd be very happy. But Emma Stone just – it's crazy how good she is in this movie. Like, she is utterly charming and hilarious. And that's one thing I haven't talked about is the movie is very, very funny. Um, it plays – Yorgo does a great job of balancing drama and humour and – and the weird content very, very well. So for me, it was a killer flick. It was excellent. Um, definitely a top 10 film of the year for me. Probably one of my favorites. I um, I just I just loved how different it was from everything else. It was so different. Uh, and even up until the end, I had no idea what was going to happen. Like, because there's all these different kind of perils that kind of befall her throughout her, her journey. And like her past comes back to haunt her. So like the life she had when she was, a woman and not a baby in a woman's body, like characters from that life who thought she had died um, kind of come back and you're like, what's going to happen here? And like, there's, there are moments where I'm like, she might not make it out of this movie and I won't spoil it for you, but it was very unpredictable, um, which I, I loved. I've missed from a lot of films lately. Um, like Saltburn, I think did a good job of kind of making it a little bit unpredictable as well. Parasite, obviously, five years ago now that sort of thing and there's definitely other movies but of of the last year or so i think it's the one that kept me guessing the most which i really liked so full marks for um for poor things i definitely recommend it um but just take note that if you're a bit queasy around sex talk or if you don't like a lot of nudity and kind of really weird subject matter might be one to avoid but it's brilliant so that's my my first flick that i want to talk about poor things i loved it um, I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, next up, I want to talk about Hot Potato. I think it's called Hot Potato, The Story of the Wiggles. Basically, it's a documentary on the history of the Australian Children's Act, The Wiggles. I'm sure everyone listening is aware of who The Wiggles are. Um, it's uh, It was interesting because I grew up a Wiggles kid. Like They really just started breaking when I was a child, so I kind of saw all their direct-to-VHS homemade videotapes um, through the ABC and through the library and stuff like that. Um, and now, as a parent myself my daughter loves the wiggles as well so um i was interested to see kind of the story they would tell and i don't really know too much about behind the scenes like i knew um that greg the yellow wiggle i knew he had some health issues in the mid 2000s but beyond that i look i knew emma and Lockie had been married and then divorced but beyond that i didn't know too much you know i just kind of because when i was a kid you don't pay attention to that sort of stuff and then when you're a teenager you're not really paying attention to the Wiggles anymore. And as an adult, like I've had a very mixed relationship <laughs> with the Wiggles because part of me, the nostalgia is like, oh, this is great. Like she gets to grow up on stuff that I liked. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, like, can we just put something else on for a second? Like just mix it up because it was on high rotation in our house for a long, long time. Um, it's an incredible documentary. It's really well made. Um, it shows another side of every member past and present of the band um and it made me kind of appreciate certain characters from the history of the wiggles as well so for example the one consistent wiggle has been anthony and i would say of all of them he's probably been as a both as a child as an adult he's probably my least favorite and i just think i don't know what i just don't think i really appreciate his sense of humor as a kid or as an adult so like as a kid you just like focus on someone else but as an adult i was like oh my god like pack it in man um 
And I'm so glad I don't feel that way anymore. Like I'm not always going to appreciate his style of humor. I'm not always going to appreciate his contributions on a personal level or on an entertainment level. But knowing his story and knowing like how without him none of it would have happened, all the hard work he put in, all the kind of suffering he went through, um, it made me appreciate him as a creator and as a person. So even if I don't necessarily like what he's putting out, which I don't think is a bad thing. Like I've watched, you know, you can watch band documentaries. Like I watched the Cannibal Corpse documentary. I'm not never been the world's biggest fan of Cannibal Corpse. The documentary is fascinating. It made me appreciate them as a band. Um, I never thought, you know, you never thought to hear the Wiggles and Cannibal, Cannibal Corpse in the same sentence. But there you go. Um, but yeah, like it just shows you like how they were. They weren't kids, but they were quite young. Like this group of guys who were starting to become like teachers, and then. That one of their one of their mates was uh, in a rock band, great rock band, the Cockroaches. Actually, some, they got some really great tracks. But how they kind of started, like, and they were trying to find a way to kind of meet in the middle and do educational music, and how they were traveling around and playing to like three people, like audiences of three and stuff like that. And then how it exploded overnight. And you wouldn't think with kids' music it would be the same as rock and roll or anything else, but it was identical. It was like. We went to gigs and like no one showed up. We were playing gigs at like the supermarket. We were playing gigs at the church hall and stuff like that. Um, and just like fascinating how very humble they were. Like one thing I noticed that is different from the rock and roll story is there didn't seem to really be any egos. Like there was some fighting, and I thought it was really fascinating seeing like some of the band members talk about how they'd ha- had arguments before shows and how they kind of got on each other's nerves, um, which I guess I should have expected, but because. I don't think of them as like a rock band. I was like, well, what would they have to fight about? Like they just show, like they show up and they do the show and they pack up. And that's not the case at all. Like obviously I've seen versions of the arena show they've been doing like through YouTube and stuff like that. So I knew the shows had gotten bigger, but I never imagined like in the early days there'd be that sort of touring lifestyle, but it absolutely was that. Um, and I talk about it a little bit on the two-year anniversary because Maddie asked me a question about uh, a certain type of movie and, and this was my answer but just it made me very introspective about you know like they talked about how in order to help and educate and support millions of children around the world they had to sacrifice their home lives a lot of the time and I think most of them and like a, a bunch of them end up getting divorced you know like at least a couple of them went through separations and relationship issues because they couldn't be there for their own families because they were entertaining millions of families around the world um which is kind of crazy. Um, and the other thing it made me appreciate, aside from like the obvious work ethic, is just how precious life is. Like, Because just about every one of them went through some sort of major health issue or crisis, whether it was heart attacks or like pacemakers put in or all sorts of depression. Um, and the, I talked, I've talked about it on Instagram, but this flick made me cry so many times. Um, it's so beautifully told and their story is so like pure and charming and you see kind of like the reactions of families when they get to meet them and stuff like that. But then on top of it, their own hardships like made me cry. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, all they want to do is put something good into the world and they have to suffer through these kind of tragedies and afflictions as well, regardless of, you know, whether they're guns and roses or the wiggles, like it's going to come up. Um, but it's wonderful. If you have kids and they've watched the wiggles, I would definitely recommend watching this one. But even if you haven't had kids, but you were, you watched this kind of program as a kid stuff, I definitely recommend it. Like, as I said, I have a, I had a complicated relationship with the Wiggles, particularly Anthony as an adult, because of, you know, just hearing the same stuff over and over again, but I really enjoyed it. And it was again, like a top 
I would put this in the top 10 of 2023 for me as well. Like this was so wonderfully made, so well-intentioned. And there's a great moment, like throughout the film, they kept cutting back to this concert. It was a reunion concert they did a, a year ago or two years ago. And everyone in the audience is an adult. Like they're not children. They're, they're the grown-up children who were the original audience from like 30 years ago, which was mind-blowing, but also so beautiful as well. Just like, oh my goodness, like, they, for an hour and a half, two hours, they get to be kids again. And, like, they're wearing Dorothy the Dinosaur pajamas and they're wearing Emma bows and they're singing Get Ready to Wiggle. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, it was a very effective documentary. It was wonderful and I can't recommend it enough. You definitely need to check it out. Two down, my last one. So the last movie that I want to talk about is a movie called Bottoms. Um, and uh, it's not about bums, uh, but instead it's kind of like... Uh, about you know being a loser in in high school so like but instead of it being about guys uh it's about it's it's a it's a story about two teenage girls and kind of like their struggles so uh, i want to get the the names right so give me a second so first of all it's directed by emma seligman who i've never seen anything of hers before um but she did do she for baby um which also starred Rachel Sennett. So Rachel Sennett is in this movie. She wrote it or she co-wrote it. She's the lead actress. She was also in um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies a few years ago. She's been in a couple of things. I think she was in Once, a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well maybe. Um, but um, everything I've seen her in, I'm like, this this girl is fantastic. She's such a great actress. So it's Rachel Sennett and Ayo Edebiri. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. And if I am, I apologize. Um but basically, they both they play two um, high schoolers. They're both lesbians, and the whole crux of this movie is basically American Pie or or Road Trip or any teen sex comedy from the two thousands. Where, but instead of the you know the two guys wanting to get laid and have sex, it's these two girls. And on top of that, not only do they want to get laid, they want to get laid by girls because they're lesbians. So already I'm I'm on board. As soon as I found that out, I was like, this is great. Like you've taken a concept, you flipped it like Blockers did, but then you flipped it again. And you're two lesbian girls in high school chasing straight girls, trying to convert them. Uh, the concept alone is wild. And basically what they do is in order to get attention, in order to kind of stand apart, they start an underground fight club in their school and they pretend it's to teach girls self-defense. It's a very wacky movie. Like, it's very over the top. Um, like, the whole the whole way through the film, um, all the guys in the movie are preparing for this huge football game with, like, their big rivals. And apparently every year or every time this game comes up, their rivals tries to kill someone. Like, it's that over the top and ridiculous. But also to the point where the girls do feel like they need to be protected because it is so violent. Um, but it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's like, whilst it does address, I would say, fairly serious social issues, it does it in a very fun, funny way and a very empowering way for women as well. Um, and I just I was laughing from start to finish. I just thought it was so well done um, and very, very brave, and not brave in the way they approached it, but brave that they approached it at all. Like at this point, how many comedies can we make about teenagers trying to have sex, trying to lose their virginity? Like it's such a trope that's been played out. Like and it, to the point where it doesn't work a lot of the time. Like American Pie kind of became – like originally it was like Last American Version and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They were kind of like the originals. And then you kind of jump ahead a few years and you get to American Pie and like the, kind of the early 2000s. Um, and then Superbad kind of put the stamp on us, like, 
that's it. We're closing the door after Superbad. We don't need any more of them. But then, you know, we did get blockers, which I really liked. And then this, again, just like took it and spun it around a place where it's something completely new and different and almost doesn't even feel like a teen sex comedy the way we kind of view them traditionally. Um, it's wonderful. It's the entire cast. I'm going to go through them because I, they're all new to me. I'm sure they've all done things before, but they're all new to me. So Ruby Cruz plays kind of the um, – if you go through the parlance of uh, basketball, she's kind of like the squeak of the group. Like she works really hard. Um, she's all about like friendship, but she's very underappreciated and often and ridiculed. But she's excellent in it. Um, Havana Rose Lou plays the love interest for Ayu Edabiri. Um, and she does a great job. She is she plays a straight girl dating like the, the quarterback, and um, she's her performance is is very subtle. You know, like that's kind of a hard role to play. We're not only playing kind of like the love interest, but you then have to kind of flip the script. It's yeah, she does a great job. Um, Kaya Gerber plays Brittany, the other love interest, a love interest to Rachel Sennett. She's wonderful as well. Um, the guys are all good. Like Nicholas Gallants plays Jeff, Miles Fowler plays Tim. Um, it's very easy, I think, to assume that because they're playing just kind of like douchebag jocks that that's an easy role. But there's a lot of nuance to it as well. Like it has to be over the top and ridiculous but still believable, and they managed to pull it off. Um, Michonne Lynch, who I believe is an ex-NFL player. I'm not sure. I'm not big on sports, uh, as you obviously know. But um, he plays the teacher, and he was really fun. I really liked him quite a bit. Um, they were all good. Summer Joy Campbell plays kind of like a like a tomboy character. She actually reminds me a lot of Jay from Jane Silent Bob, um, and she's really funny as well. She's kind of like the over the top, like really enthusiastic. I want to beat the crap out of people, like go girl. Um, but she's excellent. Uh, look, there's not too much else to say about it. Uh, to me, it was the the sleeper hit or I guess sleepy hit isn't the right word, but kind of like the biggest undiscovered gem for me. Like I knew about poor things. I knew, I expected it to be good. I knew about the Wiggles documentary. I didn't know what to expect, but I had a feeling it would be at the very least interesting because it was, you know, going to the back story of something I wasn't familiar with. Pardon me. But Bottoms, I had no idea. I had no idea what it was about. I didn't even read the blurb. I just put it straight on. But I knew it had Rachel Sennett, and I've loved her in other things. I was like, well, it's probably going to be funny because she's generally quite funny in a very dry way. She's She does playing kind of like um, entitled millennial very well um, or entitled Gen Z. I'm, not, I'm actually not sure how old she is. She's probably Gen Z. Um, so I knew it was probably going to be at least funny, but it blew me away. I had no idea how much I was going to enjoy it. I laughed harder at this than any other movie I watched last year as far as I'm aware. Um, and they held no punches. Like they just went for it. Like they went – like, it's so ridiculous. When it does get violent, it is brutally violent. Like, the last scene, spoilers for this movie, is basically a massacre. I'm not even kidding. It's so gory for a comedy set in school, which is not meant to be a horror movie or, like, it was never suggested going to get violent. It goes nuts. It's so crazy. Um, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it, and um, I can't recommend it enough. So that's it. Those are my those are my movies. Um, so last time I said I wouldn't be doing this on the regular, but I actually might be doing it on the regular. I'm not sure. Uh, as I said, next week, two-year anniversary episode with Maddie. So definitely get ready for that. It's so good. We had so much fun. Um, I do a little bit of voice work, which I rarely do, but 
you're going to get an insight into a side of me that I haven't revealed on the podcast before, um, which is very embarrassing, but ultimately I think it plays well for laughs. Uh, and then after that, the plan is to resume the 2000s. I'm actually in the process of scheduling up all of my recurring guests to talk about movies from the 2000s in the coming days. So we'll get that all set up as well. But if I see something new and I want to talk about it, I'm probably just going to jump on and do a, a solo show and talk about it because I like discussing them. And especially when I watch as many movies as I do, Sometimes I'll see things in advance of a lot of other people. And I was late to all three of these. Like, Poor Things came out way later in Australia than anywhere else. Wiggles had been out for months. Bottoms had been out for probably about a year. So I was late to all three of them. But still, I don't really know anyone that's talking about them. So I want to talk about them as soon as possible, share my thoughts and feelings, and make some some recommendations for you. Uh, I'm probably almost always going to recommend movies. It's very rare I'm going to discourage you from seeing them because you should vote for yourself, spend your own money, and make the decision. Um, But I love them. So poor things, hot potato, and uh, and bottoms. Go check them out if you like what you heard on the show, and even if you didn't like what I what I said, you know, don't believe me. Like go and make your own decision. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's episode. So thank you for sticking around for this solo show. Um, in the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, you can head over to Instagram. I was a teenage film snob, underscores between every single word. Uh, I post pretty regularly. I've put up lots of stories and pictures and stuff like that. If you talk to me, I will talk back. Um, I've had a number of people message me recently from other podcasts asking me to kind of like collaborate on different things. Not a flex, just letting you know that I do converse with people. Um, I got to be part of a really cool project for another podcast. Um, I don't know when that drops exactly. I believe in March that I recorded a video for someone. I very rarely do video content for podcasts, but someone asked me for a video, so I've done that, um, and they seem to really enjoy it. It's meant to be a bit tongue-in-cheek, so you'll see that sometime in March. And then there's a big project, which I teased in next week's episode, but now this is coming out first, I can tease it here as well. Um, I can't talk too much about it, but um, it seems like it's going to go ahead. It's very, very cool. Once I get the all clear to talk about it, I'll talk about it on the show as well. Um, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can head to uh, tpublic.com and order your very own I Was a Teenage Film Snob t-shirt or sticker. You can also find those links in Instagram as well. 20% off for new customers at TeePublic. Um, and they look great. They're all designed by Josh. They're fantastic and uh, very, very comfy. But that's going to do it. No more shameless plugs. Um, thank you again for taking this uh, short ride with me as I talked about my latest viewings. Uh, and that's going to do it. So uh, as we say every single week on the podcast, guys, I was a teenage film snob, but I'm trying to be better. We'll see you next week.